right, if you would turn to Revelation chapter 3, we're going to look at the church of Sardis today, or Sardis, and let's just read the passage. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And again, he's repeating repeats this in every message. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. And so again, we have to get ourselves in position. Lord, speak to me my spirit. Speak through your spirit to my spirit and let me hear what you're saying. And uh, well, we're going to talk about some good news and bad news again. You know, There's not much good news in this church, is there? Usually it starts off, well, here's what's going right, but it doesn't start off so well for Sardis. And, you know, remember the old westerns, you see the posters, wanted, dead or alive. And they wanted to catch the bad guys, they wanted to get them out of the picture. Dead or alive doesn't matter, just get them out of the picture. But when it comes to the church, the poster says, wanted, alive. Wanted, alive. Jesus doesn't want a dead church. And so now, uh, you have churches that are not full of life, and then you have churches that could appear to be full of life, but just because they're everywhere in America, you know that it's not all that it appears to be. I had some friends from Bulgaria that came when they first came to the States, and they just thought, wow, look at this, there's churches on every street corner, this is awesome, and then they started going to them, and they were like, oh, it's not so awesome, and then they finally found one, and, that's, and we met them there, and uh, or I didn't actually... Anyway, the point is, is that appearances are one thing. Again, as we pursue Christ, we pursue things in the spiritual, and not everything as it is as it appears. So Sardis looks like it's hopping. I mean, it has a name, and people are flocking to it, and there's activity, and it's like it looks like everything's great, and then hey, a messenger of the Lord is coming, and he's going to come and give us a word. What's the word? And then the word is, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Talk about spoiling the atmosphere. It's like, what? Why does Jesus come and say, you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead? Why is he spoiling the atmosphere? Well, he doesn't come to spoil the atmosphere. He's, he comes to improve the atmosphere. That's what it is. Why are these harsh messages coming to us? Again, they're given to us in love. It's because Jesus cares. He cares, so he corrects. 
if he didn't care about us, if he didn't want to see us move up or move ahead, he'd let it all go. And there's a proverb, Proverb 27, 5 to 6, sort of describes what's going on here, which says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Uh, you know, better is open rebuke than hidden love. What's that mean? It doesn't mean that you need to go and pounce on everyone saying, here's what you're doing wrong, and I'm, and I'm loving you because I'm openly rebuking you. No, it's not used as a tool to warrant insensitivity and attack. But that scripture is for us to understand that sometimes we have to speak a hard truth because we love who we're talking to. And it's better to speak the hard truth in a, in a, in a godly manner, not as a warrant for me beating somebody up, but for caring for someone to tell them enough the truth because I love them. You know, Paul said in Galatians, have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? It's hard sometimes to tell the truth, but when Jesus gives us the truth and when we give the truth to others, it should be in love. And we see this, it's because he cares that he corrects. Are you being corrected in your life? Do you read something that challenges, convicts? Do you hear a word that pierces? You say, oh no, it's not for the sake of attack, it's for the sake of correction because the Lord cares. He wants to see us improve the atmosphere. He doesn't want to kill the atmosphere. He wants to improve it. So we see that Sardis was bouncing, full of life and activity, and yet they received that rebuke. A rebuke in love, but nonetheless a rebuke. And that can cause us to ask the question then, well then, what constitutes life? If, if it looks like everybody's flocking to this place and there's, activity, there's works, What? where's the life? Why is there no life here? But you can have a civic center full of activity and works, and that doesn't mean that there's spiritual life. There, you can have cults that have big, growing institutions. The Mormons are a very big institution. In fact, I talked to a guy that lived in uh, Utah, and he told me about his Mormon neighbors. He said they go to church for three hours every week, and the parking lot's full, and they're involved in community service, and it's so, it's it's just bustling with activity. And I don't think that Jesus would say that there's life there. Why? Well, because one thing, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so, if you are not in the way, the biblical way, the truth, Jesus as the truth, or in the life that he has prescribed, you're in the way of falsehood, and ultimately it's spiritual death. You can be deceived and be a part of a growing movement and yet be in the way of falsehood and spiritual death. Well, what's wrong with the Mormons? You look at their webpage and they, who is Jesus? It almost looks just like what any of us might say on the surface, on the surface. But as you go into it, you discover that he's not the same Jesus. So it becomes very complicated and tricky. He's not the, They're not looking at the biblical Jesus. And if you're not in the way of truth, you're missing the way of life. So I don't think that's an issue for anyone here, but yet you need to be discerning what you're listening to, who you're listening to. Is this the truth? Are we in the way of life? Because it's tricky out there. There are... Lots of deceptions, and, and the whole point of this passage is we can't be given over to appearances and just because it looks like everybody's going along with it. 
So, but not only knowing the truth and being in the way of the truth constitutes life, but truth must lead to worship. This is a big one the Lord's been speaking to me on. You know, Jesus said we have to worship in spirit and truth. And having the truth without worship is missing, you know, one side of the coin. We need to be led in spirit and in truth. Worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And the truth is, you can be involved in things and get into uh, a, a routine where you're not really worshiping. You're doing the right things, but you're not really worshiping. And you could be just given into, uh, this is what I've always done, or this feels good. You know, I had a teacher once say that uh, you could be singing White Christmas, and you could almost get carried away into a worship-type feeling. I'm dreaming of a white you know, you can get the emotion of the music could start to move you. You could lift your hands to it, and you don't even realize you're not singing anything. It's just the feeling of the music, and the same thing. That's why I said at the beginning of this service was, let's try to meditate on the words and let that affect us. Sometimes you can just be saying the words, and and it's just an emotional thing. The music's just moving you. It's these are the reasons Jesus is trying to correct the church so that we can be on guard. And it says later to be watchful. But we're still looking at life. We have truth. We have worship. It should come to worship. We are in relationship with a person. It's not a matter of just coming to church and having good religion. It's about growing in love with Jesus. And so growing is another sign of life. You got truth. You got worship. And if there's life, you'll be growing. If you stop growing, you're not living. I mean, all of us at some point stop growing physically, but we never stop growing personally and inwardly and as we experience life we're all growing and that constitutes life well the same thing the lord wants disciples and we've said it before we want to become disciples of jesus christ a disciple is one who becomes like his master and that is a pursuit that will make us grow into his likeness as we walk with him in this life can i get an amen amen okay good so anyway there's a huge church that you've probably heard of. It's called Willowbrook. No, it's not Willowbrook. It's Willow Creek. Willow Creek in Illinois was a big, famous mega church in the uh, 80s, I guess, 80s and 90s. And uh, they wrote the book on mega church. It was the beginning of the mega church movement, and they produced all kinds of programs, books, celebrities, conferences. They had everything going. They had the crowds flocking to them. And for years, they would teach other places how to become a mega church and how to produce books and programs and celebrities and all that stuff. And at the end of a, a decade or two, they went about a study that took uh, more than a year, I guess it was, and the leaders of that church came out honestly and said, you know what, we've produced all this, but we haven't been producing disciples. In other words, they were getting people into the place, and they were... They were building their programs up, and there was lots of activity, but people weren't living for the Lord. They weren't growing closer to Jesus. They weren't growing closer. To, they weren't becoming more like him. And that's, that's what God wants. That's what he is trying to draw us into, the walk of the way, the truth, and the life that makes us his ambassadors, his representatives, and like we've looked at in the book of Revelation, his his prospects for reigning in the age to come. We are in training for reigning. 
So we need to be growing, and it's all about growing closer to him. But we can be doing all the right things, again, getting into a routine, and even a good thing like reading the Bible is a good thing. But if you're not reading it to grow closer to him, it's, it's not going to help you. It's, it's not getting you to the goal. The goal is getting closer to him. When I pray, do I come to do my duty? Well, I just had this this morning. When I go to church, am I coming to grow closer to him? i got to come up here. i got to lead some things being in the front so I can forget that I'm here to worship too. I need to be worshiping. I need to be drawing closer to him. Everything we do should be a movement trying to get closer in our relationship with Jesus. And this was the error of the Pharisees. When Jesus confronted the Pharisees in John chapter 5, verse 39 and 40, he said to them, he said, uh, let's see. He said, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. And that's quite a word. You search the scriptures, you're searching for these things, but you will not come to me that you may have life. And I know that there are lots of churches out there, and we need to be very careful that we're not just reading the word to do our duty or just to get a head knowledge or to get some theology or to win the Bible trivia contest or to be able to, you know, say how many scriptures we know because we memorized them. All that can come just subtly in, but we don't come to him through the scriptures. I know there's, I can hear on the radio, I can, you can hear lots of things on the radio, but you know, you can hear very intellectually sounding sermons that are just, I used to describe one preacher I heard as he was always talking more about the frame than the picture. He's always given the background and all the historical context and everything, but never got us into the picture. And the whole point of scripture reading, again, or the whole point of prayer, or the whole point of coming to the church, the whole point of serving the Lord in our works is that we grow in our relationship with him. So we've got truth, we've got worship, truth leads to worship. We have life that continues and is growing. And a growing church or a growing Christian will be a going church or a going Christian. Going, in which we take what we are experiencing of the Lord and going out there into the world and pouring it over to others. In fact, uh, last week, a couple weeks ago, I heard from two different people telling me what they heard a pastor say, which I ought to start saying. At the end of each service, he would say, well, church is not over. It's just now beginning. As you leave, you are the church. You are going out. How's that sound? I mean, it's true. The church is not just the service, not just in a building, but the church is the body of Christ, and we go out, and it's just beginning when we go out. That is the mission field, right, as you go out those doors. And some people look at church as a landing pad for the end of the week or the beginning of the week, however you want to phrase it. It's a landing pad, but it's not a landing pad. It's a launching pad. We ought to be coming together to encourage each other, to spur one another on, to say, hey, there are other people like me out there who are actually pursuing a relationship with the Lord. I don't see it during the week out there in the, the, the world, in the workplace, in the schools and things like that, and people aren't talking about it out there. But I come to church and I see there's other people like me that we're all pursuing the Lord, 
and we encourage each other, build each other up, and it's not just to get a fix, but it's to strengthen us to go out and be the church and to win others to Christ or to do anything that might serve his kingdom advancement in this world. So those are things that are easy to forget. And however long you've been a Christian, for a few days, for a few months, a few years, you need to be uh, focused and watchful. And so that's the next word in this this, uh, revelation where Jesus said to be watchful. And the words be watchful uh, also mean wake up. But consider, consider a guard, you know, a soldier guarding his station and falling asleep. What happens when the soldier falls asleep, but the enemy can creep in and start to steal? The enemy can do some damage, or the enemy can throw some poison, or whatever like that. As Christians, we need to be watchful. We need to be alert that we are keeping to these things that I've just talked about, keeping to truth, and desiring to grow closer to God in worship, and growing as a disciple, to be watchful and to be watchful to see that when I sit down, I'm not just in the middle of a routine like that. Jesus said to be watchful. Some translations also say to wake up. Have you ever heard of uh, sleepwalking? Sleepwalking is a a dangerous phenomenon in which you can be doing something and, and you're not really awake. And I guess, you know, some people have been injured. They've fallen downstairs and things like that. I mean, to be about the motions, going about the motions and not really be awake is a dangerous situation. And yet there are churches that are going through the motions. We can easily get into this place if we are not being watchful. We need to wake ourselves up. Sometimes we just have to slap ourselves and say, wake up, i got to wake up. And remember that it's not just about religion. It's not just about doing things. Um, there was a big church, talk about mega churches in Mississippi, that Jennifer and I went to this church in Mississippi, and uh, it wasn't a traditional church. It had the scaffolding and the theater lights and everything, and it was dark, and, and uh, I thought, oh, boy, what's this going to be like? And then when the service started, this band took the stage, and I'll tell you what, they played so perfectly, it sounded like a record. And, I mean, it was just the most polished performance you could have heard from any group of musicians. And it was loud, and they were singing worship songs, but I looked around, and people were just standing there like this. I don't even think they were faking the singing by moving their lips. But it was just kind of like, what's the point of it? I mean... There wasn't any sense of, of life there. And yet they had all the right things. They, they had the flash and the glitz and all the flawless performance. But it wasn't spiritually uplifting as far as I could sense. And I'm not saying there was no life at all in the place. I'm just saying that it was just a strange thing. And then not long after that, we were in Florida. And we got to this church in Florida and I walked into that church, and it was the same thing. Oh, here we go again. We had the lights and the dark, you know, everything looking like a theater. And the service began. This band came out, and again, they played flawlessly. It was like a polished, recorded, recorded performance. 
and it was just perfect. And I looked around, and I saw people worshiping. They were, they were singing, and they were lifting up their hands, and, and I started to feel that sense of the presence of God, and everything was different at this place. And I thought, that was an experience. That was an education. What is it? There was two places. They had the very same type of atmosphere in the natural, but one of them had the spiritual, the supernatural atmosphere that really touched the lives of people in the auditorium. And I, you know, I think that something like that is going on right now at some colleges in America, which is really exciting. And it doesn't have to be perfectly polished music. It doesn't have to be uh, contemporary music even. It could be the old hymns, but they're sung with a new vibrancy and life and, and gusto, to use an old word. Gusto. When was the last time you used the word gusto? What's gusto? Some people are saying. Okay. So anyway... I'm just saying that there is a life that goes beyond the appearances, beyond the immediate, and what makes the difference. I don't know all that made the difference there, but I assume and presume that the worship leaders at the one church were really in tune with wanting to grow closer to the Lord, and the people there were also on that track. And so it worked well with that polished performance. The same kind of heart, the same kind of desire and focus the same watchfulness would work well with not-so-professional musicians. And I've seen that, too, in places where things aren't all just perfect and polished, but yet there's a real sweet presence of the Lord, and it's easy to worship Him. So we're on to the next stage in Revelation chapter 3. I lost my place here. I need to get back into it. So it talks about strengthening the things which remain. Verse 2, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die for. I have not found your works perfect before God. When it says to strengthen, it's telling us to strengthen. You know, often we might say, oh, Lord, strengthen me. and Lord, help me get to the place where I need to be. And that's okay. We need to ask him for that. But he also puts some of the responsibility on, on us. We need to strengthen ourselves. Well, how do you strengthen yourself? When I want to strengthen myself physically, I'll do exercise. And I'll watch what I eat. And I'll uh, pay attention. And I'll be on a, a, a track. I want to, I have this goal. I want to be fit. So I'm going to do exercise. I'm going to watch what I eat. And I'm going, to, I'm going to do what I can to strengthen my body. Well, the same thing goes, of course, for your spirit. If you want to be strengthened in your spirit on these things we're talking about, in truth and worship and growing and going, and you strengthen yourself, you watch your spiritual diet. What are you feeding yourself? What are you watching? What are you reading? How much time are you spending in the Word? It's not, it's not to make you feel guilty if you're not in the Word all the time. It's just to say, hey, you want to strengthen yourself? You've got to eat the proper nutrition. It's like I don't read my Bible in the morning because I have to. It's, it's more like my, my spiritual breakfast. And it, it gives me nutrition. It feeds me. And then I'm ready to go. And, you know, you can go without it for a little bit, and you'll still just like going out with, without food. But if you go with it, without it for too long, it's going to be weakening. Prayer. Here's the thing about prayer. You have to be still to pray, but that's going to strengthen you spiritually. And you have, we're talking about all this activity. We can have so much activity to cover up the fact that we have little life on the inside. 
because the life on the inside will assist us in being still and, and being quiet before the Lord in prayer. Be still and know that I am God, it says in Psalm 46. That's so hard to do. That's so hard to do because everybody's busy, has so much other things going on, and then there's always the spiritual warfare. The devil's trying to get you to think of other things and making you uncomfortable. It's hard to be still. But if you can push through it, if I can push through it, God always rewards it. And God builds us up. He strengthens us. And that puts us in a place where we are more in the way of life. And Martin Luther used to say, I'm so busy, I have, I have no time. I better wake up three hours earlier to pray more. I'm not there yet. <laughs> but the point, the point of it is, is that he, he saw that the key to having the strength and the unction to go on to carry out what we need to carry out comes through prayer, alone time with God. And uh, it's just not easy. We can all be honest, right? We live in a world that is not conducive to sitting still for a few hours or a few minutes, right? <laughs> but uh, it's a great habit, if you have, and it's, it's one that will grow you as a disciple, and to strengthen your walk of faith, you do the works of faith. James says, without faith without works is dead, and some people are confused about that. They think, well, I thought we're saved by faith. It's not faith and works, right? But James says, faith without works is dead. Well, the point is, is you don't earn salvation through your works. You don't earn salvation through your works. What James is talking about is that if you have faith, it's just going to respond. The what you believe, you're going to be living. If you believe that the Lord loves you, you're going to walk in, in, a, in an atmosphere of love, and you're going to be loving. If you believe that the word says to esteem others better than yourselves, you'll actually esteem others better than yourselves. If the word says don't gossip, you'll actually not gossip because you're believing that to be the truth, and that's the kind of works that James is talking about. If you have faith, it will produce works. Faith is a response to the truth. And when you produce the works of faith, it doesn't earn you salvation, but it strengthens your spiritual life. And the more you walk in obedience with the Lord, the stronger you get and the more joy you receive from the fellowship, the relationship with God. So that's how we can be watchful. That's how we can strengthen. And then it says, remember, therefore, verse 3, remember, therefore, how you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. So remembering how you have received. I had uh, Colossians 2. Do we have Colossians 2, verse 6 and 7 up there? When you first received the Lord, those who have received the Lord, you understood that it was grace, that it wasn't according to how good you are. It wasn't according to how well you could measure up, but you had, had discovered that there was a Savior that died on a cross for you that wiped out all your sin, wiped out all your guilt, wiped out all your shame, wiped out all your past, and made you holy, clean, and righteous on the spot by faith alone in Jesus Christ. It was nothing you did, nothing you could do, but Jesus did it for you. And you prayed and asked him to come into your life, 
and you started experiencing a new outlook in life because you were accepted and loved by a holy and just God who wasn't going to judge you, but he was going to give you eternal life and you could face anything now because your, your future was secure in him, you might have been excited with all of this. It was the grace of God, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I didn't have to fix myself. No, it was grace that saved you. And so Jesus says, remember when you first received, you received with a joy, a reception of a gift. It caused you to be delighted and want to know him more, want to discover him more. And so in Colossians 2, 6, 7, it says, as you therefore have received Christ, you received him in grace, so walk in him. Don't don't receive him in grace and just say, okay, now I gotta, I'm on my own and I've got I've to shape up now. No, you, you walk in grace. You want to shape up, but you're, you're looking to him. You're walking in him. He is, he is the one who has shaped up for you. You're simply keeping in step with him and you're thanking him for the grace. You are not sleepwalking. You are grace walking. Not going through a routine, but you're conscious and focusing on the grace of God. Every day is a new day of grace. Every day his his mercies are new, it says in Lamentations. So you walk in him as you received him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Established in the faith. The faith in what? Faith in the grace of God, the the purchase of Christ, his righteousness for, for our sake. He became sin for us that we might become righteousness of God in him. We are established. If we can walk in him and be built up in that, that's part of growing in the relationship. And as we grace walk and not sleepwalk, we can abound in it with thanksgiving because every moment is a moment to be thankful that grace covers me. I just tripped. Grace caught me. I just messed up. Grace covers me, washes me clean. It's the blood of Jesus that purifies us, makes us clean, and I don't have to beat myself up, and I don't have to say, oh, wretched man that I am, except the way Paul said it, who can deliver me? Oh, yeah, it was Jesus that delivered me and does deliver me. And he's given me a happy outcome. I can't earn it. I would have never deserved it. But he gave it to me. Therefore, that's what propelled me when I first received him. I need to remember that and walk in that daily. We need to be reminded of the uh, first lessons, the basics, right? Because we can just grow in this walk and start to go back into the motions. And that's like sleepwalking. Instead of sleepwalking, we can be grace walking. Well, let's bring this to a landing so that we can launch. It says in verse 4, You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Here's an interesting thing. If you are in the midst of people, in the family, in the work, in, in the school, or wherever, and they're not doing the will of the Lord, they're not walking with God, they're not interested in relationship, and you are, Jesus sees you. Jesus recognizes the few. And he says here, there were there were a few that have not defiled their garments. So we see from that that there was sin in the camp somewhere in that church. And yet, Jesus recognizes those who are reaching out to him, who are walking, pursuing relationship with him. 
So you contrast that in the first verses. It says you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. And here it says you you have a few. You have a few who who are are pursuing me. And the question is, which one are you in? Are you one of the you have a name, or are you one of the you have a few? Get what I'm saying? There there are people who go through the motions, have a name. I'm a Christian. I go to church. I do this and all that. But it's just just a, a, a label, a name or something? Or are you of the few, those who are really walking with the Lord? You know, Jesus said narrow is the road that leads to life and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And we want to be on the narrow road. We want to be of the few. And guess what? You can still have a name and be of the few. That's okay. But you just don't want to just have the name and not be part of the few. And it tells us something. There are a few that follow the Lord in this world. Amen. There are a few. There are herds out there. It's broad as the road that goes to destruction. The herds are moving in a wrong direction. But the few are moving in the successful direction, in the way of kingdom prosperity and kingdom allegiance and kingdom love and, and kingdom grace. We want to be part of the few. And that's hard to do in our world. Because everybody wants to fit in, everybody wants to go with the herds. But part of the Christian walk is to say, I'm, I'm going the other direction. And uh, it makes me think of an old film. I won't mention the title. It's just old film about the sinking ship. Okay, what, what was it called? The Poseidon Adventure? <laughs> and I never even saw the film. I just remember seeing this scene from the film on TV. It was the old one. I guess they remade it. But... The ship was going down, and there was water flooding everything, and there was one guy who was saying, we got to go this direction, and everybody else was saying, you're crazy. It's this way. It's this way, and they all mocked him, laughed at him, and there was only just a few that went with him, and of course, you know what happened. They all went, those guys who mocked him, laughed, they all went down with the ship because they didn't pay attention to what this guy knew. And I thought, man, that's a fitting uh, look at what it means to follow Christ in this world. The world is saying, no, 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 you're nuts. But we're going to a place where we're going to be in a better place, right? So be a part of the few. And to him who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. And white garments there really means uh, rest and purity. It's a symbol of rest and purity. It's the white robes of royalty in heaven. It's, it's, this is a place of armor right now. We're talked about in Ephesians uh, 6. It talks about putting on the full armor of God while we're here. But those who overcome will put on white garments and Jesus will confess their names before the Father and the Spirit. And, and think about this. This is really incredible that the Lord, high and lifted up, the Lord of all, will actually confess your name before the hosts of heaven. Jennifer and I were at a conference once with uh, Andrew Womack. He was, some of you may have heard of him, but he was pretty big. We met him in China, actually. Um, and at the conference, he mentioned us from the platform. He said, we got some missionaries here, Rick and Jennifer Bell. 
And I thought, wow, that he would even mention us and that he'd even remember our names was made us feel pretty good. And that was just, who, you know, what is that compared to King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, who will remember you, the few, will confess your name before the hosts, and it's a high, high and holy honor. You are somebody to him. You are somebody before him. You are not insignificant. You're not a number in the herd. But Jesus knows each and every one of us who are faithful to him. And we have treasures and riches that we can't even imagine after following him and making it through this pilgrimage, the pilgrim's progress. When we get to that place, and it's all going to come forth in a mighty display of glory and We'll be there like, who am I? And then he'll confess our names before the heavenly host. And here is Linda in Sweden. And here's Sandy and David. And there's the Tracy family. I mean, what an honor. So we confess his name now. We don't have to be ashamed. We love the Lord Jesus. He laid down his life for us. He wants the best for us. He is a mighty God who will have his way, and it's all coming to a conclusion before too long. We're in on the best thing, and as we go today, let's just consider that we are in pursuit of him. It's about him. When we leave the church, we are the church, and we don't have to be discouraged with you know, small numbers or pay too much attention to big numbers. It's great to have big numbers, but that's not necessarily where there's life as we see from this passage. And in the same way, where two or three are gathered, Jesus says, there I am in the midst of them. You can have life with just a little gathering as much as you can have with the big gatherings, and sometimes the big gatherings are deceitful, and they're not really life after all. We're after the real thing, and that the good news is, is we can have it in spite of what we actually see in the natural. Can we receive it? Now, can we go out and share it and uh, be life givers as we receive life, give life to others? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us eternal life in Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you receive us because of the blood of the Lamb shed for us and making us clean in your sight and that you would bestow all the honors and privileges and treasures that are limitless, Lord. You are limitless, and you are abounding in love and favor and mercy, and we just praise you. We thank you for your spirit moving in our land. We thank you for your spirit moving here. Touch each life, Lord, this week as we go forward.